Hello, everyone, and welcome to The InDesigner, the podcast that provides information, instruction, and insight for designers using and learning Adobe InDesign. I'm your host, Michael Murphy, and for the first time, I can officially say that I'm an Adobe-certified expert in InDesign CS2. I passed my certification exam last week, which is part of the reason this episode is coming to you a little bit late. This is episode 20, the final installment of our three-part series on tables, in which we'll cover the bells and whistles that allow you to turn mere rows and columns into a great design. Now that we've covered the mechanics of how a table is created and formatted, we can start to explore the potential of tables as a design element. I'm going to start off with some examples from my own work in which tables are used in combination with other InDesign features in ways you might not expect. A table is not limited to rows and columns of numbers. Can you spot the table here? It's actually the entire layout. This particular article asked two groups of people the same question and had to present both groups' responses. Rather than run all this in my magazine's typical three-column format, I opted to present it all in a set of tables, one for each question, where the top row containing the question is a merged cell spanning the two columns beneath, which put the respondents' comments side by side. This approach solved several problems. First and foremost, it facilitates the reader's understanding of the information they're looking at by keeping relevant comments grouped together. And it solved a more practical problem, which was that the length of the responses in each group varied, so a 50-50 split in the columns didn't work. But since tables are so easy to work with, I could just drag the column divider left or right to allow more space where it was needed and less where it wasn't. So that's a table providing both clarity for the reader and flexibility for the designer. Here's a table that doesn't look like a table, but the information placed over this photo is a table, but it has no outer border, vertical strokes, or fills, so it doesn't give itself away as a table immediately. However, showing edges on this page, you can clearly see that it's a table, but relative to the photo, it's given a lot less weight, so it's integrated into the image to support it rather than being a dominant element. There's also a subtle drop shadow around the text and the rules in this table to make them stand out a little bit more against the photographic background. If you don't have any fills in your table cells or the text frame that the table exists in, then drop shadows are applied to the contents of the cell and any strokes on the table. Here's a table that looks like a table, but not only spans across a spread, it runs for five consecutive spreads, comparing the services and capabilities of a hundred different companies. I do three of these a year, one each for three different industries. And if you're a Cork Express veteran, you'll feel my pain when you hear that I've done this for years in Express by setting tabs, drawing dozens of colored boxes and rules, and praying that no one would ask for any changes. Now... All of these layouts have been built from scratch as InDesign tables, which were imported from Microsoft Excel files. And here's something we haven't covered yet, rotated text in header rows that is fully selectable and editable, even though it's turned on its side, and it can be positioned just by clicking any of the four text rotation icons in the control palette. Here's a layout that spans five pages and contains 31 separate tables, all placed over background images that are directly related to the information in the tables. There are cells in these tables that span more than one row or more than one column, breaking up the uniform grid that all tables start out as. 
To allow for more interaction between the tables and the artwork behind them, I placed a transparent box behind each table that shaded the image behind it enough to keep the table text legible, but still allowed the background art to show through the many tables placed over it. Unfortunately, I couldn't set transparency on the table itself because transparency applied to a table applies it to the fill, stroke, and text. Hopefully, the next version of InDesign will allow for a greater level of selective transparency within tables. Colors in the tables correspond to the color of the respective country on the map to integrate the tables and the background art even more. The result is organized, easily digestible bits of information contained in consistently formatted tables and designed from the start to exist harmoniously on the page with relevant images. This two-page table is given a more customized look by this little notch on the cells. It breaks up the rigidity of the table's underlying grid and helps move the reader's eye across from cell to cell in the appropriate direction. But there's no setting in the table options or cell options dialogs to achieve this effect. Let's take a look at how it was done. Each of these little notches is a triangular shape that's the same color as the cell and stroke to its left, creating the look of a single, continuous shape even though it's not. The shapes were pasted in right before the start of the text in each cell, which made them into anchored objects, allowing me to position them even beyond the edges of the cell in which they're anchored. Notice that wherever I drag this anchored object, you can see this dashed line that's drawn between the object and its insertion point in front of my text. I'll switch to a version of the table that doesn't have all the triangular objects in place yet to show how easy it is to incorporate the anchored objects into the other cells. Once I have the first one positioned the way I want, I select it with the text tool, copy it, and paste it in at the start of the text in each subsequent purple cell in this column. To get the notches on the orange cells, I still paste in this purple triangle and then just select it with the direct selection tool and choose an appropriate swatch from the swatches palette and apply that. I then copy the orange version and paste it into each of the orange cells just as I did each of the purple ones. Once all of the triangles are in position and colored, the effect is seamless, and the thick horizontal white strokes between the rows add just enough space to reinforce the appearance of a series of interlocking shapes rather than a group of table cells. Now let's take a look at a table that takes this idea and runs with it. I created this table as a sidebar for a magazine article about workplace safety. To make it more reader-friendly, I designed these icons in Adobe Illustrator that correspond to the different types of accidents listed in the table. Each icon is placed in its own cell, and the accident names are in separate cells. But with no column stroke between the two, they actually appear to flow into one another. Each icon's graphic frame is fit exactly to the size of the art, so that I can make sure they're all perfectly centered horizontally and vertically just by clicking the horizontal and vertical centering icons in the control palette. And because I'm using an at least setting for the row height, if I scale any of these icons, the cell size will automatically adjust itself and the object will stay centered both horizontally and vertically. Another added touch in this table is this rounded end cap on the header row. That's something else that there's no built-in option for, so we need to cheat that effect too. 
This is just another anchored object like the triangles in the previous example. I'm going to delete this end cap and recreate it just to show you how I integrated it into this row. I set the row height to exactly 0.1875 inches and I set the width of the first column in the table to 0.0938 inches, which is exactly half of the row height. Changing to the ellipse tool, I'll create a circle on the page that is 0.1875 inches all around, and then fill it with 100% black, the same as the fill in the row. I'll then cut the circle to the clipboard and place my text tool inside the cell, and to make sure that the text insets for this cell are set to zero on all sides so that my shape can go wall to wall in the cell and also making sure that the clip contents to cell option is checked all I need to do is paste the circle into the cell since the column is exactly half the width of the circle and the row is exactly the same height as the circle it forms a seamless join with the rest of the row creating a rounded end cap it's the same kind of visual trick that we used to put the little triangles in the previous example. It's just accomplished using a different method. My title type and caption are also built right into this table. The caption is an emerged cell spanning these columns, and my title type is also an emerged cell. But there's a lot more going on with this title that we need to take a look at. First, there's an anchored object here, which you can see from the anchor icon. But more than that, this entire type and graphic arrangement is actually another table nested inside this cell. To make this more clear, I'll cut the table out of the cell and paste it over to the side. As you can see, I can select rows and columns in this table like I can any other table. And once I had it all set up to my liking, I just cut it and then pasted it into the cell at the top of the larger table. I now have a single selectable item in this file that contains everything in this table. There are no separate objects that need to be grouped together. I can just click it and move it to a different position on the page or to another page altogether in the layout as one self-contained unit. Perhaps the most dramatic example I can give is to show you the table as it was given to me in Microsoft Word and compare it to what we ended up with. Put them side by side and you tell me which one you'd prefer to read. In the next episode, I have no idea what I'm covering. Between the certification exam and the upcoming InDesign and Creative Suite conferences in Chicago, I haven't been able to think that far ahead, but there will be a new episode in 10 days, right on schedule. And speaking of the InDesign and Creative Suite conferences, I'm still trying to get a small group together to talk face-to-face -face about technology, design, workflow, whatever. Uh, just send me an email if you want to be part of that in Chicago. As always, you can join and comment on the blog at www.theindesigner.com, and you can always email your comments or questions to me directly at info at or look for me on AIM or iChat as The InDesigner. Until next time, this is Michael Murphy for the InDesigner Video Podcast. Thanks for watching.